as long as there's no questions with with Shawadi Wadi in it, then fine. Yeah. So as long as there's no questions with Shawadi Wadi in it, then we're fine. I'd have to wait a minute. Yeah, give it a minute because she's going to be in that for a while. Yeah. And now, here comes fans around the world. This is the moment you've all been waiting for. Adam Liverpool, England. It was super necessary. made it technology what a life <laughs> it's terrible isn't it <laughs> i won't go to back in my day boys but we might kick off with that that'll show my age <laughs> let's go there go on back in your day <laughs> <laughs> letters postcards mate <laughs> yeah no we internet had, we had to Not, walk <laughs> i know imagine that my mom carried me a lot that was that that was a thing oh. uh, how you doing mate anyway you okay Great, nice to nice to meet you, boys. Thanks for having me on. You too, mate. My pleasure. Too. Um, right, let's uh, let's get straight into it then. Um, so, for those who don't know, Brian is the commentator and presenter for Octagon MMA, as well as the host of Octagon MMA. Uh, sorry, Octagon Hype and MMA Pulse podcasts. So, it's a pleasure to have you join us today, Brian. It's good um, to be here, boys. Good to be at the, the meat and the sandwich of you two scousers. It's lovely. <laughs> yeah, you, you're a good little filling, aren't you? Hey. <laughs> That's why the camera's not this time. There's plenty of filling, boys. There's plenty of filling. It's been a rough few years. Uh, right, so first things first. Then what, what drew you to MMA? What, what was the interest in that? Where did that come from? Do you know what? It's, combat sports has always been something that, um, yeah, I've always been drawn to. It. I've been fascinated by it. Like I used to, I remember when I, and again, I'll show my age here, that when Tyson was coming up and through, I was at junior school. And I remember my dad used to let me stay up and watch the fights with him. And I remember going to school for weeks. I was petrified that this guy existed, that on the planet, there's a guy that could do that to another human being. Um, but I was, do you know what? It was, it, it was, yeah, it, again it was just like the stories behind the fighters i always loved the the up and coming ones like prince nazim with the boxing and uh, chris huber all these characters that would come up and through and tyson um and I, I, ever since that age it's just i've been obsessed with it like I, I played football played basketball played rugby did all those sports but the one that i will always stay up for the one that i will always you know look forward to or dig into the content or find out as much it has always been fights it's always been fights, whether that is just because of that primal thing where we, we want to know what happens. We're drawn to it like that gladiator type um, spectacle. But um, yeah, so I was obsessed. And I remember I, remember I was at um, I was at high school and somebody started talking about this family, the Gracies. 
and that they were beating up all these like kickboxers and uh, judokas and all this stuff. And I didn't even believe it was real. It sounded like a, it was a film. It was basically the, the John claude Van Damme movie, but in real life. Uh, and I didn't believe it. And then somebody brought a VHS tape to school. <laughs> How he's shown his age. There you go, mate. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I had to go around to someone else's house to watch it. That's my so that's how rough it was. Um their nan was in the corner making tea and we just put the UFC on it. <laughs> what else this? Uh but yeah, so ever since that is it I've loved it and it's the it's the thing that I it's the sport that I'm most drawn to. I think it's the most pure form of competition and uh yeah, love it. How old was you when you first seen that UFC one? Oh God, damn! How old would that have been? I'd, I'd probably only be what was it, ninety six? So yeah, I'd have been sixteen, something like that. Oh, so right. uh, yeah, but again, I, I remember just sitting there afterwards and going, "What the hell just happened?" But <laughs> in the most brilliant way. Yeah. <laughs> um. So with this one, um, obviously it's a bit sort of out of the way, but we have to put it in somewhere. Um. I don't know if you still do, but you used to do uh, stand-up comedy. Um, how how was that experience? How did you get into doing stand-up comedy? So it's the same with both. I've told this kind of story before with um, comedy and with with MMA. Uh, it was by accident. It was mm. both of them have, have come because they're things that I was interested in and I sort of spent some time doing stuff about it. So comedy, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd done acting and stuff like that when I was younger. Um, and one of the courses on the the acting on the like the performing arts degree that I did was was a comedy course. It's like four weeks of doing this thing, um, and I loved it. wasn't very good, but I loved it. Um, and then I ended up doing the thing where I started to pay off my debts. So I ended up getting a job as a salesperson, selling training uh, to businesses, which was uh, it was, it was all right. But again, I said I'd do it for a year, and five years later. I was still in the same job. I was still going around and, you know, I had plenty of money, but um, I was waking up in travel lodges and literally not knowing what city or town or place I was. I was just churning out the miles. And this thing that was supposed to be like a little stopgap had just become it. I got no social life, no nothing. So I did that thing of quitting the job and going back down to London. And I'd saved up some money to, to kind of, you know, give myself some time to think about what I wanted to do next. And uh, while I was down there, that, like, all my mates were working. So no one could come out with me every Tuesday night or Wednesday night. So what I'd do is disappear off to these little tiny comedy clubs in and around London, above pubs, in working men's clubs. And I'd go on my own. I'd go and watch these crazy comics, good and bad. And then thought to myself, I'll, I'll have a crack at this. And so I did it, did it, did like a five minute spot. Um, then I did a couple more and then that turned into people offering me 10 minute spots. And then you got asked, would you drive another act down to Cornwall and back for 15 quid and 10 minutes stage time? And I did all that. I did all my, I, I, all my stripes. And suddenly from, um, yeah, from doing sales, I was driving around the country again, not knowing what town I was waking up in, but, um, <laughs> but doing something that I loved doing something that, you know, really, I, I thought challenged me and with comedy, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. You never know. One night can be amazing and you think you are king of the world. That's it. Live at the Apollo next week. No problem. And then you're in a working men's club in Worthing and a guy throws an old jacket potato at you that he couldn't be bothered finishing. And, uh, <laughs> and you're brought down to earth pretty damn quickly. So, yeah. So it basically yeah. just spiraled. But then again, I, I did that for 17 years, 17 mm. years. I was oh. on the circuit and uh, 
loved it absolutely loved it and if i wasn't as busy with the traveling and everything else uh with the mma i'd, I'd still be doing it but you got you got to balance your life and i want my wife to stay married to me for a bit more boys <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Just for the financial so obligation. Any... <laughs> so any job you get has got to involve just lots of travel then. Because lots of travel. You do. <laughs> my carbon footprint, honestly, I, I think half of the Amazon rainforest is my fault. So if any vegans <laughs> out there want to send me a message, uh, no problem. <laughs> Listen, that, that that bit with the travel, that, that just sounds like <clears throat> someone's regular weekend, to be honest with you. So at least you're actually doing it with some purpose. And all, as you say, this year you've been able to do stuff that you're interested in, and not just sort of fell into that whole thing of just doing it because you you need to essentially. Do it because you love it. Do it because yeah. I never expected to get turned into a job. I was ne- I never went, and at any point did I think that I could say that I like I literally built our life with comedy. I literally am building our life with Emma. Not one point did I ever think that would be a job. And I wish I could jump back to 16 year old me and go, it's going to be all right. It's going to be fine. I know they told you, yeah, I know they told you either join the army or go into a factory, but actually you're doing all right. And I could have done both those jobs. I would have loved them as well. But um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a crazy little ride, but love it. Definitely. At 16 um, year olds watching UFC one. You, you'll be all that's, right. That's, that's <laughs> right. You'll be no, but the funny thing is like I'm hanging out with some of those guys now. So like last weekend I was with Rampage Jackson, Tito Ortiz, Frank Mia. Uh and that's still I still, I still pinch myself. Like Tito Ortiz patted my ass as I got into a, 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 a escalade. And he went, and you get, and I was like, this is the weirdest thing. I sat and I said, Did Tito just grab my ass? My left butt cheek, I am never washing again. That's all I'm gonna say, boys. Yeah, it's got it's gotta be surreal, like you know, you've watched these growing up and then you're surrounded by them. Like uh can I imagine how crazy it must be like. Yeah. Madness. So can you can you remember your first commentary job and how you felt before you sort of went into the event? Yeah. So uh do you know actually can I remember my first commentary job? Can I remember my first commentary well, job? Well was you drunk? Uh, no, I've never I don't drink, never yeah, okay. drink. Same as comedy. I'd i basically the only the rule I had is if it was a rough gig. I would take a pint on stage because it kind of the lads kind of go, oh, he's drinking. He's one of us. Mm. But I would never drink before it. And same with commentary. I know people that drink a lot while they do it or on the energy drinks or whatever else. Um, but no, I don't I, I couldn't I couldn't do it. I don't want to, you know, I want to be there. I don't want to yeah. be slurring or needing a piss. Uh, that's the <laughs> other thing. I don't know. If I can talk to you about the glamorous side of, com- of, uh, of MMA commentary. But when you sat there for eight hours and they've given you no breaks and you're literally dancing with one leg like this, one thing you don't need <laughs> in you is 17 pints, lads. Yeah, um, <laughs> first first commentary gig, it was, uh, yeah. Uh, and again, it was all, all off the back of doing what you boys are doing. So I started a podcast um basically because it was it was just beginning the podcast era was just kind of kicking off and I was uh I was doing some gigs with a guy called Carl Donnelly who is a phenomenal comedian absolutely brilliant and uh like just so good and he was all, he's always like kind of ahead of the curve with stuff that he does um and I was on a ski lift with him and he kind of went uh as we were on this ski lift on the way up he just started this podcast and he he basically said and he wasn't saying it to me he was just saying it so it wasn't like he was having a dig but he went I don't know why every comedian hasn't got a podcast I think it's stupid that we've got a chance to make an audience and every comedian hasn't got a podcast and I was sat there thinking I ain't got a fucking podcast <laughs> what the fuck am I gonna do um and I don't want to do one on comedy and again like my the thing that I watch and my 
my wife hates it. My brother used to hate it as well because he'd want to watch movies and I'd stick on old fights or pride events or, but I just watch fights. So I, I and I realized in and around the comedy world, there's a lot of guys that also are either martial artists or have some sort of background or an interest. So I started a podcast like you boys um, called the Stand Ups Throwdown Podcast, basically me talking to comedians about MMA. And then from that, um, I got to, you know, I was, doing it with comics and then I got a couple of managers message me and say do you want to interview fighters and I was like damn right that's nerve-wracking as hell I, I remember talking to uh some yeah some crazy fighters Brad Pickett I met him by doing doing a podcast um and I, I did those and then Bama contacted me and they said we like what you do with the the fighters we think you get the like the best out of them because I'm not a journalist I interview them as a, as a, just someone as a fan, basically, but I'd find something funny about them or something that they wouldn't expect. So they'd be used to the same old questions like, how's your weight cut? Uh, who you're sparring with? What do you think of your opponent? And then I'd jump out with something about their stag do or, you know, <laughs> what, uh, like a, a, something I'd seen in an article that they thought nobody had noticed. So um, I'd get, I'd just diffuse them and they become them. And I remember the best compliment, I always refer to this because it, it inspired me to think, do you know what I can do this? Was um, I interviewed Brad Pickett, who is the man. He is the man. He is what, just one of the nicest badasses you will ever meet in your life. And I interviewed him and it was supposed to be for 15 minutes and we talked for 45 minutes. I was really nervous that I'd pushed it, but the conversation kept flowing. And again, we were talking about other stuff outside of fighting. And after it, his, his amazing wife, Sarah, sent me a message and she said he's been fighting for 10, 12 years. And that's the first interview. It sounded like him. And I was mm-hmm. like, that's the best compliment ever. So from that, Bama took me on and um, uh, put me backstage to start with. Then they got me to host some press conferences. And then kind of from that, it, they they put me to the presenting side, which was, you know, from never doing uh, MMA punditry or presenting but I just loved it. Absolutely loved it. And it's kind of spiraled from that, that little leg up. And I'll give Matt Bourne a shout out for that as well. He was the media guy back then. And he really pushed for me to, to do it. Um, and that door opened and then it's just, it's just carried on. It's been mad since then. And thinking about now going out to Ostrava next weekend for this, uh, big tournament that Octagon are launching, which will be in front of 15,000 people. It'll be packed. It's already sold out um it's kind of like i still pinch myself still pinch myself yeah yeah sound yeah sounds crazy doesn't it like what what, what's that fella called when he when he interviews uh rappers and he brings up something just completely out the blue um yeah i I, know i I, I can't not nod something or not nod wall or something like that yeah Um, there's this (laughs) going it's what he it's kind of what he's saying He'll find something that they don't expect to hear, and it completely throws them off. But then, like you said, you see the real, the real person. We kind of done it a little bit with Enzo Macronelli. Um, we nice. had a question that he wasn't expecting anyone to know about, and it kind of when you've got to think about it a bit more, you see the real yeah. person come out. So 100%. I think it's a, it's a fantastic way to to work an interview like that. It's brilliant. But so basically, you're the original. Love that. Oh, I mean, 
Um, so do, do you have any advice for people who may want to go into commentary? Is, is this because you boys are going in? I've seen the announcement. Hey, <laughs> maybe, hey, maybe, maybe. Maybe. Do you know what? There might be an ulterior motive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I wasn't that popular to get on a podcast, but now I see I see right through you two. I see right through you. I'm going to sabotage I, I, your first gig. We, we, we think he'd before we know. I'm playing um for for me you know it's uh and again I I've I've worked with a lot of people and my the biggest thing that I do which I I, I still love the fact people's jaws kind of open is when they see my preparation when they see the amount of stuff that I put together for every and I'm not just talking you know, like we're talking about the, the welterweights that will be on um, this tournament coming up in Ostrava, UKFC. If I'm on UKFC, I will try and contact or watch or speak to every fighter if I can, just to get something about them. So for me, it's it's it, preparation is everything. And whether and I've done fights, and I have literally done fights where I've got two pages of notes and it's a 13-second knockout. But it doesn't matter because I know I'm prepared and I can, if that turns into a 15 minute wrestle fest that nobody's dead interested in, I've got facts, I've got info, um, I've got hopefully, and this is again, being a fan of all the fighters and always grateful for whether it's time that I, I get from them or the privilege of calling their fight. Um, I try and get as, do you know, I, I just try and get as much of them as possible because if I and especially when I've done shows say in Russia where it's just two bearded guys facing each other but I can tell you something about fighter A and something about fighter B and then you feel something about one of them so then you're invested that's my job yeah. that's my job so from that that respect um you know it's my favorite part it's the bit I'll sit up and like I've, I've done lots of different jobs but it's the thing I still catch myself at two in the morning writing notes or watching a fight or digging out an interview um and i think that that's it it's the same with same with anything in life the more you prepare the the better you can deliver what what you want to deliver and, and the other thing is like care really really fucking care about the fights really you know whether it's the first one on the card and again i can jump to doing ukfc and I remember i know um it's an amazing show by the way aaron ab and steve nightingale they got me on that uh that show and uh and jake as well of course jake and um I remember like the first fighter on the first card I called was Curtis Campbell, right? This little kid that was coming out with his hair and his glasses and all this stuff. Um, and I was so impressed and so excited. And I'd seen some bits before. I think it was only his, his either his first or his second. Um, and then I've watched him just rise, rise through. But I cared as much about that first fight as I did watching calling the fight where he became double champ at UKFC. Um, so yeah, that, that's it. It's, it's an honor. Like when you get to call fights, you're in the best seat in the house. You are the voice and the storyteller for the, the, the fighters. So, so it's just for me and that's my personal thing. I do as much as possible to try and do that justice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's to do your own work, boys. Do your own work. What are you talking to me for? <laughs> You've got probably got about do. 78 fights to call on one of these cards as well. That's the other thing stamina, boys. You need you need snacks. I'm going to tell you now, you need snacks, chocolate, and energy drinks. All right, well, what do you go to snacks? 
oh, do you know what? Do you know what I'm there for? I'm also, I'd look a bit poncy. We'll go to like a sports hall up in Preston and I'll turn up with sliced mango and some dates. <laughs> you know, me, 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 and, me and Jay Furness. He came one day with those, um, uh, what do you call them? The rice cakes with the chocolate on top. And oh, yeah. I, came, I came with a selection of fruit. We pooled our resources and we had the best time, guys. We had the best time. The campus hardest picnic you'll ever have. <laughs> well, are you pulling up with like waitros and stuff, right? Or you're not quite that. You're not quite that. Show much. off, lads. <laughs> Doing all right. Doing uh, right. <laughs> no, but um, like you said, there. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to get rinsed for that. <laughs> yeah, like you said, there. Um, Kate Sadi always says, "Let me get it right." Otherwise, he'll probably hit me the next time he sees me. Fail to prepare, prepare to fail, and I think. That's just true with anything in it, whether it's a podcast, you know, in life in general. So I think, as you say, did your own work, you know. And what I want to ask though is like, what's it been like, you know, building relationships with fighters? And like you mentioned, Kurt, there, what's it like to see them come from the start when you've seen to where they are now? And like, like what's that been like for you? Um, it, it's ruined fighting for me, boys ruined it because I care now like I know the people so the highs and the lows I'll be watching fights I'm twitching around like this but it's the best it is the best because again this sport this mixed martial arts sport still has so many people think it is something else they Mm. think it is what like people marketed it as in 1996 they still think it's this brutal sport and I would love to sit some of these guys down with the likes of Aaron Aby yeah what a dude like he is superman to me and I like um, and he's fighting on UAE Warriors this weekend. So let's go, yeah. let's go, Aaron. Um, but again, it's it's the best because it's and Brad, Brad Pickett, Frank Mir, all these people that you have this perception of that have been there and, and done it. And you know, you only see when you're looking at the, the headlines them in in a fight or covered in blood or doing what they do. Um, I've I've been fascinated to meet the different people from different backgrounds around the world as well. This is the other blessing I got friends all over the world now which are um you know everything from up and coming amateurs to uh you know world champions whether it's in mma and in another sport or jiu-jitsu or whatever else so it's it's again it's the cherry on top it's the bit where i still pinch myself uh and like yeah when when you're like um when you're over in places like the czech republic and you're seeing these fighters that are superstars over there and they're just normal dudes. They're just normal dudes. And, and they're just doing what they love. They found this crazy, crazy um, vocation or path. And it's where they are most alive. Um, but again, I, I kind of joked, it kind of ruined it. But it is, you see the highest of highs and the lowest of lows with some of these guys. Um, and it is the true full spectrum of human emotions that you get to witness uh but there's there's that's glorious as well because where else where else would you see or be as close to that uh as as doing the job that that we do yeah have you um, have you ever considered doing audio books when you're speaking with passion like i think you'd work with like audio books you know (laughs) (laughs) listen i don't know how long this is going to last but i think 15 minutes is the top people could take in my my head with my voice but um yeah no no because i'm 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 too much of i I get distracted i can't picture standing in a studio reading out harry potter for seven hours no thanks mate let's let's talk fights let's do that instead 
Yeah, and I, <laughs> I think like people who think it's still a brutal sport, you don't realize how much the sport has helped people. Like you mentioned, Aaron, there, uh, what he's been through. You know, he was wanting to get those yellow gloves on. Now, after he got through it, you mentioned Frank Me, he had the most cycle accidents. Like yeah. the sport has helped people, like in a lot of ways, it's not just what they perceive as brutal. Like, as you say, you get to see the the doing service, if that's the right word. But anyway, you get to see like them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the one that the one that I, I think people should watch, and again, we're we're doing this project now, and again, it's with it's with one of my. I've only just met him the last twelve months, but Paul Smith, we're doing this project with him where he's going to train to fight a pro MMA fight. Um, and he has openly talked about his battles with mental health. Mm. And right now he is, and I mean, he's all in. He is training with the likes of Tom Blackledge and the boys over there, Andy Clamp, James Lewis. He's bouncing around at Wallhead MMA. He's gone over there and he's with Jimmy Wallhead and Dan Hardy. Um, uh, Jack Shaw is with, I think he's going over to train with Arnold Allen. He's got uh, Brad Pickett's Jimmy's going to. So he's like gone all in on this and, Again, it's uh, when I speak to him and I, w- I went to Ireland to watch his tour. I went out there to, to see him because he trained with John Kavanagh. So we kind of filmed some of that, which is amazing. It is absolutely hilarious. John Kavanagh was brilliant with him. Um, but uh, the biggest thing he's talking about is that what he's given him. Like yeah. this is taking all of the, the pain away. And it's something that's not talked about. And again, everyone jumps back to... Uh, 2019 through to the, the release of us getting out of the, the lockdown and, and everybody struggling with mental health. No one really talked about how fitness, whether it is jujitsu or whether it is running or whether it is something, what that gives you, what naturally that gives you as a, uh, you know, natural mental uh, medicine for mental health, the, the endorphins you release, the, the, the confidence you gain. Um, and he has been, and the footage isn't released yet, but he's spoken like really um, eloquently about just how much this this has given him, which for me, because it was kind of like we've we've put two guys together. We haven't told anyone who the second guy is yet, but he's the same. Um, it's, it's kind of the bonus. We weren't expecting it to be that much of the focus about you know physically and mentally what what this is giving them. But again, it's it's it almost feels like common sense but people don't put it together because we're, we're told that we're not told that that's a, a good way to deal with that sort of thing yeah yeah definitely it's, a, it's an important issue as well about that you know that paul is talking about in these is, is you know men's mental health especially is is something that's been close to us the last few months especially um so you know it, it's great that it's finally getting more of the spotlight um and you know long may continue um so yeah, look forward to seeing some of that. Though I haven't, I catch up if there's whatever yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's not released yet, so we're basically we're going to announce the second guy that he's fighting very soon, and it's mad. The people, the fact, the fact we got Paul Smith is as busy as he is, and he's giving all his money to that weapons down gloves up charity, yeah. um, and it's a decent wedge of money as well that he's he's given to 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 that charity. And without without one of the things he said, he came out to meet. Pavel and Andre, who are the guys who run Octagon, and those two is again, they're hugely passionate. The, the 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 big thing they love doing is telling the stories, is you know, creating a wider market for for MMA. If you go to their shows in um, uh, Czech Republic or Slovakia, when you look at the weigh-ins, you look around, it's it's husbands and wives, you know, families and kids and daughter, uh, you know, boyfriends and girlfriends. Um, 
and the way they've done that is do projects like this where it engages with wider audience and kind of educates them as well um but yeah the the footage that is going to come out when it is released i can't wait for people to see it because i think it's going to be very it's very different from any other celebrity fight they've got over 10 months to train they're going in full pro rules so it's going to be you know, uh, head kicks, elbows, and they both wanted it. They both said, I'm not doing this unless we get enough time. We don't want to just want six weeks and then shoved in a, in a, in a ring with head guards and shin pads on. We want to go all in. Um, and yeah, when, when people kind of see, first of all, who it's going to be that Paul will fight. And then secondly, exactly, you know, how deep they're going. It's mad. It's crazy, boys. Sounds, sounds yeah. great. When, so when's that going to go down, the actual fight itself? So end of the year, can't tell you when, but we will be in the UK. All right. I've just been, right. um, yeah, we'll be in the UK and it, it's big. It's big. So we, uh, we're excited to, to hopefully March 4th in Ostrovar, we should announce uh, exactly what, what the plan is. And then, yeah, then we'll see. You're being, being careful with what you say, yeah. I have to, mate. I have to. I don't want to get clipped around the ear by Andre Novotny. He's six foot five. Yeah. He's six yeah. foot five. <laughs> if, he, if he clips you around the ear, you're deaf. So. That's it. Dead man. Dead man. Dead man. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you've mentioned UKFC uh, quite a bit, and obviously Arden and, and everyone there. You've got the next event coming up, also March 4th, same as Octagon's next one. Um, are there any fighters you're looking forward to seeing, particularly on that UKFC card? Hundred percent. Like they always deliver the cards, and what I love about UKFC and the gyms that bring the fighters to that event is they they don't shy from hard fights. They don't shy from hard fights. The other thing that UKFC do really well, and it's part of their passion and their project, is build fighters to a platform where they can go onwards and upwards. They did that with uh, Dakota Decheva who is now smashing it in uh, the PFL. Um, and another one who's just signed for the PFL is Connor Hughes. Yeah. That, that yeah. guy, that guy, his background, uh, like his his mom was a, a, a kickboxer as well, used to train on the same team as um, MVP. Um, and his granddad is a multiple-time, I think, European and world champion. Um, and he's just got the style and he's in that gym. He's there at the MMA Academy in Liverpool under Jason Tan training with that KC fight base group as well, which is Curtis Campbell, which is, yeah. you know, just the the monsters that they are creating by bringing those two gyms together. And we, we went up there. So when we did them, we were coming over to have a look at, you know, potential venues and stuff like that um, and fighters uh jason tan brought us into to his and um, Pav, uh, pavel came over from octagon and we got to uh we got to see some of the guys training over there i, I just think they're they're phenomenal absolutely phenomenal um then you've got uh lexi rook versus is it megan morris yeah that's a great fight. Again, look at that. The, and those two did the IMAFs together. I was out there calling the IMAFs and those two were part of the team. So they trained together, they did all this. And there's nothing but respect there. They understand this is the sport and they've both chosen. And I love that. I love, yeah. you know, when it's, there's no bad mouthing needed to hype that type of fight. It's 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 absolutely great. So, um, but there's so many. This And UKFC is one of those shows where they're they're not just there to, get the ticket sellers and to, and to make money they want to put on good fights they want to they want to you know step up and i've been with them and very lucky to have been calling a lot of their shows um when you hear like steve and aaron um talk about 
what what they want to do and and how they want to build certain fighters and and they don't load the cards you watch you watch their fighters whether it's IPC Wrexham or uh, uh Jim they, they there's losses that come on that as well so um and they, let's give a shout out as well Jordan Chester Jordan Chester he lost his fight on his return but the fact he's back fighting and I don't know if you guys remember or, or were watching the IMAFs back in 2016 I think it was uh, he was one to watch and he kind of stepped away he became a coach a phenomenal coach you look at the, the guys he's, he's brought up and through um, but the fact he's now back fighting um, and even with that loss a smile on his face because he's made that walk again and rather than just doing it once and you know getting all big and whatever else uh, he's stayed in shape and he's he's hungry so yeah definitely definitely a card to be um to keep your eye on yeah definitely um <clears throat> so to stick with mark short then you mentioned there about the next octagon as well um what are some of the fights that you think will really excite fans on there um all of them there you go no i'm not gonna do that <laughs> uh, so i don't know if people know what what's happening march for so we have got a, a a sponsor called tip sport which is a betting agency and they have put up one million euros is a prize pot um, and over five tournaments, 16 of the best welterweights from 15 different countries are going to battle it out for their slice of that pie. And the, the, the names in there are absolutely ridiculous. But for, for in particular, if you are aware of the UK scene, John Hathaway, yeah. John Hathaway is in there versus Mate Kurtesh. That's his first fight. Kurtesh is the number one hung- Hungarian fighter. He's been in there with so many amazing names he beat christian youngworth in his last fight which was a really close split decision uh he's he lost to bojan velickovic but again really close split decision he's fought david cosma twice so this is the toughest test that hathaway could have had and if people don't know the story of of john hathaway he um was the star the rising star he was basically like uh leon edwards or arnold allen is now back in 2012 so he was uh, i think he's got had at that point a record of 17 and 2 went 7 and 2 in the ufc um just amazing fighter and so young and then basically he kept having to pull out of fights he, he got diagnosed with ulcerative colitis um and his story basically meant that he was on medication which is not good like heavy steroids really affects the body um, and ulcerative colitis basically is where the, the immune system attacks itself. So yeah. it's awful. Uh, you know, going to the bathroom 16, 17 times a day, dealing with blood as well, everything that comes with that, not being able to digest nutrients properly. So not being able to fuel this machine that is supposed to be the thing that is making his money and um, his tool for, for, for living. So he stepped away from the sport to get it fixed. And that fix basically took him out of the sport for eight years he had multiple operations he had about i think like 14 feet of his bowel removed or something ridiculous uh lived with a stoma so on the outside he had a a colostomy bag um all the way through that and this is talking to his teammates and coaches at london shoot fighters he stayed super positive he still believed one day he'd make the walk again um, and he had the bag put back inside. So he had that internalized. And over the last three years, he's been kind of building back up. And finally, he fought in um, in Frankfurt, Octagon 36. That was back in, I think, October or November last year. And he won the fight. Three rounds absolutely dominated the guy. And it was Ariel Hawani gave it as his comeback fighter of the year. Um, and for me... Like I try, I did the the piece. I worked with some guys to build the piece that was like him, his him coming back, 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And every time I tried to get those depths of darkness that he had to go to, all he did was shine light on it. Yeah. All he did was stay positive. All he did, even when he was talking about the moments where it, what he was in the hospital, when he was told he had to live with a bag, he would always put a positive spin on it. And because of that, that is, I, like, I believe, only from knowing him a small amount of time, that's how you get through it. That's why he could make the walk again. Never once did he tap out to what possibly could have been and was predicted to be his quality of life once he had had that that so he's coming back he won his first fight for eight years um last year he's now in this tournament he's one of 16 fighters and this will be the bit he's fought in the ufc but if he earns this if he gets to the point where he can win three hundred thousand euros that will be the biggest purse he's ever earned um, and it won't make up for the time he's lost, but it would be like the biggest Cinderella story you could ever imagine. Yeah, definitely. It's a real feel-good story, knowing what he's gone through and how he's come out the other side and in such a positive way. It's, it's incredible. 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 You um, you mentioned tournaments and that there. Obviously, when we go back to, to UFC, they sort of started out with it we're seeing it more and more now in organizations do you think we are going to see tournaments come back and be be that source of staple again do you think i think it's already come back it's like you said it's it's uh you've got bellator doing it in certain divisions you've got the pfl basing their whole model on these tournaments these grand prix um with this the the prize money that this this company is put forward tip sport for the game changer tournament the, the fact that they're willing to put it up and they working with andre and working with pavel came up with how this money would be broken down um it's it, it, it's fascinating and it's again it's almost like watching we, we we're classing ours as like the european champions league of mma because yeah. we've got all these major fighters coming from all these different countries and we're going to follow that journey so it's not it's not one match it's a season. We're watching yeah. this over a season, over five events. And with with um, MMA already, there's anything can happen. That's why it's the best and worst sport in the world, because the craziest stuff can go down. But with um, with these tournaments, it means you can, you know, build and follow fighters and the highs and lows of, you know, trying to get to the next round, the shocks, the big upsets that will happen. So it's um, I think it's it's a tournament. It's a format that's difficult because you're relying on people staying fit, staying healthy in a sport where you can get injured training, yet alone in the fight. Um, so it, it just it just adds to the drama. And then when you add a million euros as the as the as the trophy at the end, uh, it's 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 yeah. Of course you want to watch it. Of course you want to see these lives being changed. We've seen it with Brendan Lochnane. Yeah. We've seen him come through. Um, what a guy as well. What a guy. Um, I called some of his fights. I called the fight when he was with ACB and he had his arm broken by a, a, a spinning, he did a spinning back fist just after Dominic Cruz, his training partner at the time, had done the same. He went for the spinning back fist, broke his own forearm, and then head kicked the guy, knocked him out in the, it, it, later on in the fight. Um, and then to watch him go, and I remember when he first signed for PFL, he said, mate, can you imagine? 
Can you imagine if you got a check for a million dollars and you did it, mate? You did it. Amazing. Yeah, it's it's unreal. Like seeing seeing that, as you say, the journey. It's about the journey. You know what I mean? You you get to see these fighters come from that that low point up to, as you say, what feels the the, the highest of the highs. But it is it is great to watch and see. Like, um, yeah. <clears throat> so sticking with Octagon then. Um, recently announced two UK signings in Shamrock and Liam Etabar. Um, first of all. How good are signings are they for Octagon? And do you think Octagon are going to start recruiting more UK, uh, like UK fighters, as they continue to expand? Um, I think if to talk to those two on those two specifically, I think they are uh, amazing signings. I think Liam Etebar, um, if you watch him, he lost his last fight it was again, which is the Van Soydem, who's he's now in the Octagon uh, uh, welterweight tournament, the, the game changer tournament. But Etabar is a badass. Mm. Like I, I call one of his fights at LFL, and he's got this just this demeanor about him. He's just got this like a real fighter's fighter demeanor, and his skill set is is great. Muay Thai background, black belt in jiu uh, jitsu. Um, so I think he's going to be a problem for a lot of guys. He's got a lot of fast finishes as well. So when you're talking about people that can catch the eye and that, you know, names that you might not be aware of so much in the UK. And again, it's down to a little bit of inactivity from him, but now he's back and now he's, you know, realizing that there's only a, a certain window where you can uh, make the most of this, this, this career. And also not just the career, but make the most money that you possibly can. So I think he's going to be a shock for a lot of people. And I'm looking forward to seeing who they match him up against with and when he comes out. But Shamrock, I think he is destined to be the next big superstar in um, UK MMA. You look at his fighting style to start with, uh, unreal finishes against lefty uh, Mike Thomas, his last finish at FCC, taking the back body lock triangle, then setting it up patiently to get that rear naked choke. Now I've called a lot of lefties fights. He's a, problem he is hard to deal with he's intimidating he hits so hard um coming out of that mma academy gym as well just just great guys around him such belief um and yeah with all respect shem cut through him literally took that position and then got the finish adds to that shamrock story add to that the story of this kid that went down the wrong path when he was younger was living in the the, the, the in liverpool and some of that you know went made the wrong choices uh got caught up in certain stuff i'm not going to spoil the whole story but basically had to go on the run for and it was almost 10 years i believe while he's on the run he's he's training in places like malaysia and finds mma finds martial arts and again it's another story where martial arts helps turn that corner for somebody that could be lost and now they're found and he came back to england went to prison uh, then was released after six months after they found evidence that proved it wasn't him, came out, and now he's part of Next Generation. Now I think he's, he's eight and one or nine and one. Um, eight and one, I think, yeah. Eight, eight and one, so many finishes. This this energy as well. This and you I mean you just look at his social media. You want to watch him. You want to see and forget that like he's training with Molly McCann and then uh, uh, Paddy Pimlet and all these 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 guys that have. have on the, the top of the, the the pile as far as profile and uh, fighting in the UFC and stuff. He, I think, and we're going to 
um, that one of the best things that Octagon do is tell the stories of the fighter. If you want an example, go and watch the story of Rafael Javier. He's a Brazilian now based in um, uh, in Germany. And you go and look at the, the profile piece they did on him, going all the way back to the favelas in Brazil, to him talking about uh, only visiting his dad in prison. That's his only memory of ever seeing his dad. Then the choices he had to make. And now to the fact he's based in Germany, he's won a court case to bring his daughter from Brazil to Germany to be part of his family. And he's, he's been phenomenal inside the cage as well as that. We're going to do this, the same with Shamrock. We're going to tell that story. We're going to show people who he is. We're going to show people how martial arts changed, changed him and the people around him's life and how he's using that spotlight to help influence young people in the similar situation or yeah. the trappings of the similar situation to where he was. So uh, I'm super excited for those fighters to, um, yeah, for us to tell the story, to get them in the cage. Um, and there's more to come. We got, we got some exciting stuff coming up and the aim is to not, we're not just looking for, you know, well-known names. We're looking for f fighters where we can tell their story, where we can make, you know, ex show their character, show what they've sacrificed to get to where they are. Cause I think that's, that's what got me into the sport. And I think that's the, the, the a model that Octagon have used in other countries. And when everybody looks, they go, well, how come they sell out this arena? How come they sell out you know, 20,000 in Prague? How can they sell out more than the UFC in Germany already? Um, and I think it's down to that, that the, the fighters they pick, the stories they tell and uh, how they sell that to the audience. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you said, people are getting invested because it's not just the fighting, it, it's the life you're learning about what they've come through to, to get to where they are. I think that's, it's, I, I think sometimes with like MMA fighters and fights in general, people have this concept of like these like massive superheroes and stuff, but like underneath they are human beings, aren't they? And, they have a story and when you see that story and what they're being through it, I think uh, yeah, it, you, you get a reaction like like what you said there. Of, it's what makes you a fan, right? Yeah. I'm sure there's fights. I mean, I can you can go to the most technical fighters in the world and you go, yeah, you can see the technique. But when you add to that, this you sprinkle on top the story or the background or something about them, like the, 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 a defining moment that really, you know, captures the hearts and minds of, of people you can react to as a person, not just a fan, but as like a, as a father, as a brother or as a, you know, a friend. Um, that's that's the key. Right. And I think it's missing in a lot of you look at a lot of promotions, they sign a lot of fighters and you kind of they just fill the cards and they're great names. But tell us about them. Tell yeah. us about the, these guys. Tell us why we should care. And because everyone's got a story, it's the maddest sport in the world. The fact that these men and these women make the walk and do what they do in a cage under spotlights in front of whether it's 100 people or whether it's 20,000 people, it is as naked as you can get uh, with the most dire personal, physical, mental consequences, but also, you know, the potential of the biggest glory and. Um, rewards that you could ever have so yeah that's that's what that's what i love about the sport yeah <clears throat> so on the topic of european MMA, it's in a really great place at the moment you've got lots of great promotions like like octagon you've got alice you've got obviously cage warriors as well where where do you see octagon in five years time um if it's on the trajectory that it is, and if we're looking to, to expand, then I think it, it, you've got to class it as, as the biggest in Europe because of um, the size of the shows that they're doing. They're doing big arenas every, everywhere. They, they, they've had their first year in Germany, and twice we've done Frankfurt and sold out the Festhal, which is 9,000 
um, and it's a beautiful venue as well. The venue is just exquisite, loads of history there. Um, then they went to music, the Audi Dome, which was just under 8,000, sold that out as well. Um, obviously, we've, we've yet to dip our toe fully into the, the, the UK scene, and it's very different. Like You go to Germany, there isn't the, the likes of uh, Bellator going there and PFL and UFC. So it's going to be very different and interesting to see how we can build the audience over here. But with the plans that they've got, and again, I'll, I'll, I'll look upwards to Andre and Pavel because they're so unique and their perspective and their, uh, you know, the, the way they take risks to, to, to build what they've got and they go in it wholeheartedly and, you know, it, it just seems to work. Stuff you'd think is absolutely mad. They will say they will do. And then with three events in Germany, three sold out events with German fighters like begging to come and join the roster because it's, it's getting such a reaction over there. So like for me, I think it's uh, with their growth over, they've only been going five, six years and they're already doing what they're doing. I think you, you've got to look at them as, uh, um, you know, a poten- the potential. And I'll always say that because it's got to be proved yet, but the potential to, to get that crown of the, the biggest in Europe. Yeah. You mentioned it there, and like, sorry, Keith yeah, mentioned like Cage Warriors. I think the difference between Octagon and Cage Warriors is Cage Warriors seems to be gearing towards being like that stepping stone up to the UFC. Do you think that's where Octagon differs? Like, Octagon doesn't have that. Obviously, it's great if some of the fighters do go on and get signed by the likes of the UFC, but obviously, Octagon is trying to create its own legacy at the same time. Yeah, yeah, I get that. And I lo- do you know what? Cage Warriors is great as well because it's, um, you look at the fights they get on there. You look at some of the matchups that they've got. Like they've got uh, Reese McKee going up against Jimmy Wallhead, which is what a fight. What a fight. Seriously, yeah. what a fight. And whether, whether they bill themselves as this stepping stone or not, they, they're getting those types of fights. And it is that platform where a lot of fighters that I see when they get offered contracts and other places go, I'm going to go Cage Warriors because I reckon if I can get that belt, get that gold, then I can get up to the the, the UFC. Um, it's always going to be the thing that because the UFC is the UFC, right? It's still yeah. the one, the original. It's the, the it's the Premier League as far as people aspiring when they're starting out in this sport, visioning themselves making a certain walk in a certain thing. But um, I think what Octagon what Octagon do, which is which is different. And again, it's about selling the story. Um, first of all, you get a platform. And they they really helped the fighters build that platform. I've called fights, and I remember when I first started calling their fights a couple of years ago, and I saw a fight on there, and it was like an eight and one, eight and eight and nine fighter, eight losses, nine win, uh, eight wins, nine losses versus a, a twelve and eleven, and you're like, that's not not a great record, is it? it? Kind of feels patchy, and it was way up the card, and I was like, well, let's have a look, and uh, they got like a hero's welcome, and then afterwards, it was explained to me exactly what shows they'd been involved in with Octagon, exactly what fights they'd done. They showed me some of the promos that they'd made for these specific fighters. And you look at their Instagram and they've got like 150 to 300,000 followers. And you're kind of like, well, that I think that that makes it a bit different when you're building the fighters so that they are almost, they're not just part of the brand. They get their own brand off the back of it and they get their own followings. There's a, there's a, guy, there's a fighter called Baba Yaga, Mikolashek. Um, and again, his, his record, he, but he lives by the sword, he dies by the sword. He's one of those types of fighters. So he's, he's like a matchmaker's dream. Um, but he's a hero. Like, even though his record is, I think it's some, I think it's 10 and 9 or 9 and 10 or something like that. Um, 
he was on the fight card with David Cosma last in Austria. That was Octagon 37. Um, and Cosma is from that city, as is Mikhail Arshek. And Cosma had the biggest queue for photos. And then you had other big names in the round, but everybody veered to Baba Yaga because they'd sold his story. They'd told about him. So when you see that, and again, because I know fighters at all different stages of their career, you kind of go, that, that's awesome, right? That's awesome that they're getting the love and the recognition like that um, because they're getting the spotlight. They're not being forgotten. We're, we're telling that story as well as we're telling the, the main event or the, the co-main. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> one thing that I wanted to ask you sort of off um, where you said you are getting towards the UK for the end of the year. Obviously, when when you have free tickets, come... you're about to ask me for free tickets. Are we getting that? Is this it? You've suffered me up. Hey, what do you think I am? Ain't, ain't your bitch. Eh? <laughs> no, but but, but you I give me that in private, kid. No, you, you give me an idea. Um, no, but obviously, when UFCs come and they've said about venues, they've encountered issues. Do you think? Does Otcon try to get past those issues and give fans what they what they would like? Say like a stadium or something. Obviously, Dane had mentioned about issues with weather, not being able to have a roof. Do you think like Otcon gets past those issues, tries to find a way around them, or do you think you sort of encounter the same issues? Um, I I don't know what I could tell you as far as what stadiums or venues we're looking at, but the um. That one of the things they do really well is like with the Fest Hall in Germany is that they pick a place that has got some history or some, mm. um, you know, uh, something about it that we can hang the show on as well. So, um, yeah, we as far as where we're at now, we've already agreed a venue, we've already agreed a date, um, and there's been there's been no issues with regards to that. And uh, the other thing I'm interested to see, especially with um, the the UK fans and how they, uh, they they take to Octagon, is our sort of show experience. Because if for the, everyone that's been, and I don't know if you've watched any of the vlogs that we put out for Octagon, there's a guy called Josh who does Octagon Hype with me. He does these vlogs, which is basically to give fans like a feel of, of what the shows are like. And they're well worth checking out. They're like seven, eight minutes long, and, and they give you a little... Um, little insight into like how it feels at one of these events. And I think, uh, cause I've been to lots of events, whether it's, you know, UFC or Bellator or cage warriors or to various different shows. I think the the fan experience that, that we try and deliver anyway is, is, is slightly different from, um, from other shows. So um, venue wise, we've had no issues so far. Um, but yeah, as far as what the show and the style and the production and what, what we, we do, I'm hoping it's something that also kind of catches fans' uh, hearts when they, they come and watch us. Yeah. yeah. Um, so sticking with like the European promotions and Octagon, obviously, specifically, you mentioned UFC will probably for a long time, at least anyway, still be the sort of be-all and end-all goal for a lot of people. Do you think with the trajectory that Octagon is on, do you think it, say, in the next five or ten years, it will be in a position to challenge the UFC as being one of the sort of main looked at promotions for fighters? Um, I, th- I think, again, you look at uh, the, the business plan or the uh, vision that Andre and Pavel have got, and they've never once said, we want to go global. They've never once said, we want to be able to do a show in America, or we want to be able to do a show in Australia. They want to 
you know really put a crown on european mma that is their that is their goal they they believe in it it's a market that they know they understand um it's close as well so you know when you're, you're um looking at uh, the geography of, of europe it's it's much more manageable than trying to so that that for me also i think is uh part of the genius of what they're trying to do they're really focusing on a market that they think that they they can claim and like one fc has done over in asia where the you look at that is the ufc over there yeah. hopefully when we are um, up and across multiple territories um, hopefully delivering the same sort of stuff that we do in czech republic and slovakia and germany um then that that'll be our that'll be our crown that'll be our legacy that that we are delivering these types of shows for european fight global fighters but also for european fighters european fans um and that that i believe would, would be it's achievable and i i believe it will be uh you know once they get there it'd be very hard to knock them off the top yeah yeah um the next one for you um so i, I think you've given us quite a bit here anyway but if you were speaking to someone who had only ever watched UFC um, and you were telling them about Octagon, how would you describe it to make them want to watch? Um, do you know what? I think it is, uh, it's, it is like it's a big festival of fighting, but with unsung talent that are the rising stars in MMA. So the show itself, the production value is so high, like everything. And they, they care so much. I was on a call today about tiny things to do with pre-shows and, and every detail means something to them. And you can kind of that, that all the way from the top, right to the bottom, um, you get it. And the, again, you get it right from Pavel and Andre to the guy who runs the cage door. There's a guy called Jan who runs our cage door and he won moment of vote by the fans. This was on the Octagon website moment of 2022 because he swings the door open he swings it shut and when there's blood on the canvas he dives in there and he's clearing it up and he's got one minute to get as much of it off the camera and the crowd start getting behind him and literally they gave him like a standing ovation when he went in there that's the passion you get from from everybody so that feeds down and then as far as talent like you we've just announced a fight today uh Lozan Keita, who is a 155 pound champ and if you haven't seen him fight 10 and 0 uh, claimed the belt of Ivan Buckinger um, at Octagon 33. Destroyed this guy. Buckinger has got a wealth of experience. He had, I think, it's something like three times more fights than him when they stepped in there. He was the underdog, and he finished him in three minutes. He's now going down a weight class, and he's going to fight a Georgian fighter called Mate Sanakidze. And again, if I said that to everyday, you know, mainstream MMA fans, they'd go, "Don't really know what who those are." But when you watch their fights, you know, they, they are phenomenal talents and they're only young. 20, I think they're 25, 26, both of them. Um, Lozan Cage only been training MMA for five years and he's claimed the belt. He's coming down. They're back and forth on social media. So for me, it's, it's you know, the spectacle is there, that the bite with the eyes is there. You watch the show, whether it's on the screen or live, and you go, this is, this is top tier. But then when you see what, talent they put together in the cage especially when you don't know the names or the backgrounds and you kind of go oh my god the level the level is there then then that that for me is um that's what that's that's how i would describe it yeah yeah i can't, I can't do it in 10 or less words though boys i don't know if you've noticed i like talking and i'm on my third coffee and it's, it's like eight o'clock or whatever oh we love it that was a great answer. Great answer. um so last little thing to finish off with you then we're gonna uh, do a little bit of 
get people let people get to know you a bit better. There we go. You, you, you can't do it in 10 11 words either. <laughs> <laughs> if Where you make me cry, boys, if you make me cry on this, if you bring up something about my dad or anything like that, that's that's underhand. You've lulled me into a false sense of security. I'm in your arms right now, boys. Don't do this to me. Nobody, not not quite that bad. Uh, <laughs> no, I say just let people get to know you a bit better. So, uh, first one, what's your favourite film? Oh, favourite film, dear God, how can you throw that? Uh, yeah, you can throw that at me, Rocky. <laughs> Rocky, hundred percent, Rocky, Rocky one, boom. Tell me it's all and, and, cr- and I cry. <laughs> I still watch it. I still cry, boys. All right. I know. I, know I look hard as nails, lads, but I'm soft. I'm soft. All right, <laughs> Yeah, there's a heart in here. <laughs> um, second question then. So your dad, no, yes. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> have you found him? <laughs> I have to find me old first. Yeah. Same here. <laughs> oh, this has become a moment, lads. Should we all hold hands? Yeah. Start the piano music. <laughs> um, let's get away from that quick. What's your favourite TV show? <laughs> TV show, Only Fools and Horses. Oh, nice. oh, you see, this is showing me age as well. Rocky, <laughs> only fools and horses. Ah, uh, the, the classics are the best. So you're going to ask me my favourite pudding, and it's like Jam Roly Poly <laughs> yeah. as well. So you know, I, I basically should have stayed in the seventies. <laughs> um, okay, let's see if you let's see if we're still in the seventies here. What's your favourite musician or band? Favourite Beatles. There you go. Sixties. I've gone back. <laughs> Yeah. Next one, Charlie Chaplin. Yeah. <laughs> I'll leave my favourite comedian. Um, Give me the eighth. Yeah. Let's go. What a legend. <laughs> yeah. Imagine people that you say you've seen Henry Jade, but let's not get into that. Um, <laughs> uh, ra- random fact about yourself. Random fact about myself. I lost my finger, the end of my finger. See that? Mm. I lost it age two playing peekaboo, boys. That's I lived on the edge very early. And I played peekaboo through a cat flap and basically pulled my own finger off HP. So, you know, the other thing about that is, and this is this is what a fun fact that people don't know, and it's when people hear it, they think it's ridiculous. I am terrible with blood. Like I, if you were to tell me, if you were in another room, you said, "Oh, I've just cut my finger," or whether it is a axe wound, or if you've nipped it with a pair of scissors. I would probably be out cold. So I sit in the cage side and every event, I think this could be the one. Uh, I'll be the one where you, you hear something. You can, yeah, just me passing out. So uh, sat, and that's because, sat with your back to the action. Tell me what happened. Done all this research. I'll just read about the nan. Come on. Um, I've got it. When you said peekaboo, though, I was just I was just thinking, how oh, do you lose your finger doing that? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I've got to ask, though, who, who was you playing peekaboo with? Was it the cat or? It's me and my brother. Me and my brother. And again, it's but again, we, my mom. My mom was said, again. It's two years old, but it's kind of vivid memory. But we, my mom was cooking in the kitchen, and I remember it just coming down, and because it was an old thing i ended up cutting the end of my finger off but that's i think that's why i'm scared of blood and horrible mm. that because it was yeah you know probably have something to do with it yeah probably, <laughs> probably. we are probably. getting deep now we're going into trauma now, oh, yeah. I, know. <laughs> <laughs> I lie down lads <laughs> um okay next one then what's your biggest pet peeve pet peeve uh blood <laughs> blood's blood's one people people beeping their horn like mm. in ah. the cities like going from somewhere you know, like in the country from, I grew up in Huddersfield, so it's nice and calm and home first, it's like quiet place, you know, there's none of that. And then moving to London and 
people beeping their own all the time. Just like, yeah, that, that I'm even getting angry now, lads. If you haven't, if you haven't already, then don't go to New York. I, I've done it. We've done it. Yeah, you know what it's like then. Yeah, my wife was like, "We're going to have to leave, aren't we?" Yeah, let's go to Colorado. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, I've never experienced anything like New York when it comes to beeping. It's like does not even happening in front of them in the beeping. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, what are you doing? Come on, crazy. Uh, next one then, hidden talent. Hidden talent. Um, I play music, so I, I can. I've, I've, I write. Uh, yeah, I, when I used to do comedy, what I'd do is one of the things. I would, whenever I was hosting, I'd talk to the audience, and then by the end of the show, I'd have written a song about the different people in the audience. So, um, uh, yeah, uh, that's. I don't know if it's a talent, but it's, it got, it got me paid for quite a lot. <laughs> paid quite a lot for a while. Are you writing the song mentally? sometimes it would be mentally but I'd always write it down and then part of the act is I'd grab someone on stage usually the person that I was taking the piss out of the most and I'd make <laughs> them hold the, the book and the lyrics while I knelt down in front of me so um, <laughs> you know, no cheap gags there boys no cheap gags nope. there nope. eyebrow shit from Lacey yeah. <laughs> uh, okay next one then what's your go to takeaway order oh it's got to be curry 100% curry and, uh i live in mallorca now so i'm out here and there's no curry houses boys so every time i go home i got to go back and uh yeah there's a, there's a couple uh, obviously there's the standard ones that me and my brother always whatever we order we always get a tikka masala on the side as well because you got to judge a curry house by that but we like hot curries we like the uh yeah the reses or the the, the madrasses or the vindaloo stuff like that uh, at least in mallorca your ass is safe so Oh. <laughs> <laughs> their, their plumbing isn't great over there to be fair like so <laughs> oh dear. that was part of the test of the house we moved into was just check the flush yeah we should be good, we should be good. make sure it takes it yeah next <laughs> um, one then is it, it, it would <laughs> <laughs> this has gone downhill quickly, lads, hasn't it? This is talking about shitting in Mallorca. Oh, God. I'm going to get sacked. <laughs> um, we, we, not, we'll, not really, because we're, we're getting your story. You know what I mean? That's part of your yeah, this, story. This shitting in Mallorca. <laughs> Octagon can use this. We're good. Oh, I can't wait for that profile piece. <laughs> Just start the thing off with three flushes with no reaction. <laughs> the worst noise in the world, isn't it? Oh, no. <laughs> um, next one, then, is who would play you in a movie of your life? Who would play me in a movie of my life? It'd have to be Russell Crowe. Because, hmm? uh, uh, he's you know, he's a well-versed actor. He could really peel the onion back on the trauma from me as a two-year-old all the way up to shitting in Mallorca. Um, <laughs> But he also he, he was at my wedding, so he he was randomly at my wedding. So uh, I, I would uh, I'd give him the job because I've met him. <laughs> I'd, I'd let him luck. I'd give him the job. He'd be lucky enough to play me because because yeah. uh, we've met and he grabbed my wife straight after we got married. So uh, see, but yeah. then you've got that difficult choice. Then who's going to play Russell Crowe in the film of your life when he's playing you at oh your wedding? God. Jesus Christ, works. mate! Jesus, <laughs> am I coffee, not acid? All right, what the hell are you on? <laughs> See, I, I I talk shit in New York, but he goes to somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, Tan, tangents left, right, and centre yeah. with me. <laughs> um, last last one for you, then. If you could choose any superpower, what would you choose? 
If I could choose any superpower, what would it choose? I'm not going to be creepy and say invisibility. I hate those people. <laughs> you can't trust them. Anyone who jumps straight to invisibility, it's got to be flying, hasn't it? Yeah. Imagine that. Oh, God, that'd be amazing. <laughs> Just being able to, you know, fly off and grab a curry in England and then come back. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be amazing. <laughs> Smack Russell Crowe in the face and then fly home. That'd be amazing. Yeah. It's me. Traveling life easy as well. Just be it able would, to mate, fly straight air, to your My desk. air miles would really go down, so I'd still, ca- I'd still catch the planes. All right. <laughs> way no limits on your luggage either. So, <laughs> <laughs> just me with two suitcases flying across New York. Stop fucking me, Pete. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even in the lane. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That was that was everything we had. No questions coming through YouTube. Um, sadly, but. Yeah, Brian, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting well, with you today. Nice to meet you, lads, and good luck with your first comms gig. I'm looking forward to listening to it, all right? Yeah, we'll, you. we'll be sure to send you it and get a critique. <laughs> <laughs> we know critique. As long as you don't pass out with blood, that's going to be my gimmick, all right? Lay off it. <laughs> Honestly, pleasure, gents. Thank you so much for the time, and, yeah, hopefully get you at an Octagon event so you can actually see and experience it yourselves, boys. Appreciate okay. that, mate. Thank you. Thanks so much. Do we just go now? Do you roll some music or something? Wait, wait, would, would, we're just going to clip that. Do, do, we, do we go now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is that it? That's our, that's our end of forever now. Just yeah. that. Yeah. Go now. <laughs> do you know, like um, Joe Rogan's got the Nick Diaz quote where he goes, uh, the Joe Rogan podcast all day, all like whatever he yeah. shouts. That's me. That's me on the end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's piss it. off, lads. Love you lots. Take care. See you, mate. Cheers, mate. Nice one. This is the greatest. I love it. It was super necessary. Delicious.